Blog Talk Radio. Ah, cats. Jump back and dust off your Cadillac. You're listening to Respect for Life with your host, Brother Leroy, on the Keys Network. Blog Talk Radio, baby. Act like you already knew. Ow! You are listening to uh, the Respect for Life with Brother Leroy. We're going to play our Ernie Smith song, The Lovely Things, and when we come back from this song, I will have our brother uh, online with us, Brother Leroy, and his surprise guest for the night. Thank you.
This is Blog Talk Radio, the Keys 107 Network. I'm your host, Brother Leroy, thankful to the Most High for blessing us all with another day on this good earth, another day to do some good deeds for ourselves, our families, for our community, and for humanity in general. To God belongs the glory. We do one good deed. The scripture says ten will be returned in our favor. So we try to do as many good deeds a day and build up a storehouse of good not only for ourselves but for our children and our grandchildren and for humanity in general. Ladies and gentlemen, we're very happy to have the opportunity to bring you information over the Keys 107 Network. Each show is geared to being a classroom, meaning the information that's shared is not just yakety-yak, but to give enlightenment and allowing you to ask questions so that we can move forward. There are more brains on your side of this mic than on my side. I'm just one person. So 10, 20, 30, 100 people, you got a lot of brain power, and you have a lot of questions as we get into the subject matter today. We have, at the beginning of the show, a brother who's been to Africa a number of times, operating a business, various businesses, and coming off the interview that we were able to do last Saturday, those of you who heard the interview last Saturday, heard a husband and wife team who had been in Libya and who saw what Gaddafi was doing before NATO invaded his country and he was murdered. Uh, during the time that NATO was actively uh, destroying the country and the aftermath. So you heard that interview. You heard various points being made about what he was doing. This brother was in another part of, the, of Africa, and in the first part of our interview, he'll talk about what the Africans were saying regarding what Gaddafi was doing for their benefit. Our guest is Brother Yusuf Solar, who has a company along with his wife and son. has a company dealing in solar energy and has done work in Africa. Well, we'll explain that. We're thankful to have him with us this evening. Assalamu alaikum, Brother Yusuf. Assalamu brother. Brother Yusuf. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. In terms of your business, how you were drawn to Africa, before we get into anything about Libya, which is not necessarily the focal point of this interview, we're covering a uh, number of areas that uh, reflect your, in, your your experience. What drew you to Africa? You're born and raised here in uh, this hemisphere. You can tell us where and that sort of thing. What drew you to begin to explore business opportunities in Africa? Well, first, first of all, I'd like to you know, thank you for the opportunity in the first place. You know, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. You know, I thank you for having the opportunity to to, uh, to express what 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 I feel about Africa and about the situation that you want to talk about. Uh, you know, I I go back some time. I I was in high school, and I was a pretty good football player and a pretty good track track you know runner. Or, you know, I hesitate to say track star, but I was pretty good, uh, good enough to get two scholarships. So I was able to go out west. And I went to a college out in the out in Seattle, Washington, uh, Washington State. And uh, out there, I started uh, studying broadcast communication. And my hope at that time was to to uh, you know get into the broadcast industry, you know, developing TV stations and 
you know, satellite communications and things like that. And it just so happened the university where I was at, they, their, their communication program was founded or was in honor of uh, of uh, one of the uh, uh, great in, in broadcast communication, so uh, Edward R. Murrow. So uh, at his at at there they had not only did they have uh, communication as far as with satellite and television, but they had the cable station as well. So I was able to learn about communications and setting up TV stations and doing all sorts of things in that, that field, hoping to come back to the U.S. and come back to, not the U.S., come back to New York and get a job. At that time, it was at the Apollo. So I started writing uh, uh, Mr. Sutton, and I like to, you know, really honor him and give thanks to him as well. He would write me back and encourage me just to stay on the study and that I may have a job when I get back, you know, when I got back to New York. Uh, uh, well, you asked the question where I was born. I kind of kid brothers because they all they asked where I was born. I tell them I was born in the island, and it just so happened to be uh, Manhattan Island, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, to move on, so I let brothers know that. So it's nothing but a boat ride. If you're born in Jamaica, you know, uh, Trinidad, wherever, it's just nothing but a boat ride. You know, just the boat just went a little further and dropped me off, you know. Uh, but anyway, I came back to New York and uh. It wasn't able to get a job with Apollo at that time. They were they were doing a transition with their TV station that they had going, or TV uh, communication that was coming from live at the Apollo. So I started trying to break into the industry downtown in Manhattan. You know, going around to the TV stations and things like that. And you know, uh, you know, my I you know, wasn't able to really land anything substantial. Only basically doing dubbing at night and that sort of thing. Um, dubbing meaning making duplications at at the different sort of uh, editing houses that you have down in lower Manhattan, in Midtown Manhattan. <clears throat> but I was able to uh, land somewhat of a job at the Third World Trade Institute, or at, as it was called the Third World Trade Institute, it was actually the uh, state office building. They had a program where they were under uh, uh, Mr. Cogswell and uh, Belosi Harvey that were promoting businesses between Africans and African Americans. So I was in charge of the telecommunication part. So my job was to give give presentations to the different dignitaries that came in from Africa that uh, uh, you know would be interested in doing business with African Americans or you know helping them you know create an infrastructure or things that they had. <clears throat> and it just so happened that one country was called Upper Volta had just gotten independence and they changed the name to Burkina Faso. And the president of the country came to New York, and uh, his, he was Thomas Sankara, a young, fiery brother. He was about 36, 37 years old. And uh, I met him and had a chance to give him a presentation, and lo and behold, he invited me to come to Burkina Faso because what happened when they got the independence, the French, who was the former colonizer, took all the plans for the sewage, took all the plans for the TV station. They had a color TV station. It was actually being... You know, it went back to black and white, and they had problems. So a lot of things. When they, when when they, when they get their independence, you know, the former colonizers don't just shake hands and leave them in good standing. So when I went to Burkina Faso, the, the, I went to their capital, which is called Ouagadougou, and I stayed in Ouagadougou and went around and was able to work on their TV station and got it working, and uh, uh, met with Thomas Sankara. But I noticed at that time. They had tomatoes that grew somewhere like nine 
nine to ten months out of the year. They had tomatoes that grew all over the place, but they didn't have any sort of tomato processing plant or anything like that. So I met with Thomas, and I asked him if I was able to uh, bring someone that was interested in investing in the country, would they be willing to, to do, do some business if, they would, if he would take part of the profits and build a tomato processing plant? So he, he agreed, and I, I came back to New York, and I found someone that was willing to make the investment. And we went and we met with all the officials there. And about maybe a month after that, they had a coup, and they killed Thomas Sankara. But I saw at that time from being in Africa, I saw people that looked like me. One of the things that really impressed me was every morning after Thomas Sankara was a Muslim, so every morning after Fajr prayer, which is the morning prayer, he would jog through the streets of Ouagadougou, through the main street, and he would jog. And this is no exaggeration. He would have maybe five or 10,000 young kids just running behind him early in the morning. You would, huh. see the soldiers, you would see the soldiers out, and, you know, you would put your fists up in the air, and the soldiers would just put their fists back in the air to you. You know, this love, and this is the first time I was ever in Africa, and that love, in, uh, in fact, uh, Burkina Faso is, is actually land of beautiful people. So it was very warm, and I saw brothers and sisters that looked like me, and, you know, I, I saw I, a few brothers, I'd see them, and I'd say, wait a minute, I just saw you on 125th Street. You know, how you how you get here? So to, to make a long story short, from there I went into Sierra Leone, and I started doing, you know, halfway doing trade, bringing in used clothes, uh, used, used tires, uh, used cars, school buses, things like that. And I uh, was always getting these uh, orders or getting these, you know, interest in bringing electronic devices into the country, you know. And at that time, it was VCRs and TVs like that. And I would say, you know, but you, you, you don't really have adequate electricity. You know, you, you, you all, everyone's using generators or kerosene lamps, and they're catching fire, and, you know, and you're getting tuberculosis and everything from them. So my idea was, you know, at that time, I said you have sun maybe 12 hours out of the day, you know, 12, 16 hours out of the day. So I got the idea, you know, through a loss of Pantano, I got the idea of doing solar energy. So I came back to New York, and I looked around. I called a company out of, out of California, and I said, uh, I'd like to have exclusivity to bring solar energy into, into Africa. So, the, you know, the Caucasian on the other end of the line laughed heartily and said, you know, sure. Uh, but you have to pay us, you know, uh, uh, before anything leaves the country. So I, I we, my, you know, we scrapped up the money and uh, we brought a container of uh, solar panels and uh, a, a, a system. Maybe I think at that time it was like about a, a five kilowatt system with the panels and the, the inverter and also batteries and the framing and that sort of thing. So my son at that time he was about I think Rasul was about maybe four or five. We assembled it in the backyard, and I took it apart and put it in a container and shipped it over, and we put it on the Eternal Gen Eternal General Attorney General's house, and it worked very well. And uh, about uh, maybe about two or three months after that, that's when they had the uh, started their civil war, civil unrest there. So I came out of Sierra Leone, and from there I went into uh, I went into Guinea. And I stayed in Guinea for a while doing business. And from Guinea, I went into uh, Gambia. From Gambia, I went into Liberia. And then from there, I went down into southern Africa, mainly Namibia. 
because all of these the reason why I was able to go into all these different places is because during my time working at the Third World Trade Institute, I met all these different officials, Mugabe and, you know, people like that, you know. So I was able to travel with, with basically unrestriction, you know, uh, unrestricted. So uh, the soul energy is what really started getting me interested because I started doing more research. Of, oh, the other thing is during this time they had the blackout in New York. And the company from California asked me to be a distributor for them in, in New York here because they had no uh, distributors. So I said yes, and I started. So I started doing mainly uh, installations, mainly in Long Island. And the reason in Long Island is because the law uh, and, and, and uh, the state law and the way that the, the government the government is set up is uh, when you install solar energy on your home. Uh, LIPA, Long Island Power Authority, would send people back, you know, six, seven dollars per watt that they would produce from the sun. So, and that other thing, by law, you get what they call a new meter, net metering. When the sun comes up, your meter goes counterclockwise. So it eliminates your electric bill, and plus they're sending you money back for producing the energy from the sun. You hmm. get 10% off of your, you get 25% off of your federal income tax. 10% off your state income tax. So this is the type of money. So I was putting solar energy, Brother, Brother Leroy, on white folks' boathouses in, in mm -hmm. Long Island just so that they would have the net metering and they would get money back. The system would pay for itself and they would get these checks, whereas in New York or in, when I say New York proper, uh, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and, and uh, uh, the Bronx, you 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 would get this rebate back. You wouldn't get the re, you would get a rebate back from NYSERDA, New York State Energy Research and Development Authority, but you wouldn't get the actual dollar back from Con Edison. You know, you would just get this endless credit. So your bill might say, for instance, is a hundred dollars a month, and when you put the solar on, you would get a you would get a bill that says you know minus ten, fifteen dollars, twenty dollars. You know. But you would mm -hmm. never see that, that money back, you know. So that's kind of like, I guess, why they call it Con Edison, you know. <laughs> but uh, uh, So I really got involved in the solar energy. And after the war in Sierra Leone, they asked me to come back. So I went back into Sierra Leone. And uh, one of the problems that, that, that they have there, among the electrical problems, is the, uh, the roads and the streets are unlit at night, you know, because of the grid. So I said to the president, I said to uh, the Honorable Coroma at that time he just got in, you know, that I could bring solar streetlights. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, he said, well, I've seen some that was in Guinea, and it just so happened that the company that I deal with, uh, one of my associates on the team now, he actually installed the solar streetlights in Guinea. So it was like a, you know, a real nice fit and a no-brainer. So from there, uh, I, he asked me to do a training program in the country with his, uh, with the, it was called the National Power Authority, NPA, and so I, I said that I would. So we sent in a sample of solar streetlights and uh, the bucket truck, you know, the utility truck, which was the first time they ever had a utility truck in the country. I trained uh, about 25 members of, of the National Power Authority on how to assemble the streetlight install the street light and maintain the street light. And the interesting thing, just to you know, talk a little briefly about this street light, the reason why I love it so much, it's a standalone street light. It comes with a solar panel, 
comes with a battery, a charge controller, and a sensor or a timer. When the sun sets, the light comes on automatically. When the sun goes goes up, comes up, the uh, battery cuts, the light cuts off, and the battery is recharged by the panel. It's a total standalone system, guaranteed for 20 years. The batteries are deep cell; they're guaranteed for about five years or so, but they're maintenance-free gel batteries. And uh, 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 the the program that my wife and I came up with is a program we call Train the Trainer. So we'll train the initial 15 or 25 people, and we train them so that they're able to now, each one of them can go out and train 10 or 25 or, you know, people like that. So you have an endless sort of training training arm going on. So uh, from there, we started doing, expanding more, started doing uh, solar water pumps. I was in, in touch with someone from Mali, so we sent solar water pumps into Mali. Uh, and now we, you know, when uh, you know, just also we do solar water pumping. Uh, solar, we have small solar systems that are one panel, one battery. You can put four lights in your hut. And we're now we're trying to develop more so that we can uh, say to someone in a village, instead of using a kerosene lamp, which you pay about twenty to thirty dollars a month for in kerosene, instead of using that kerosene lamp, let us now install this small solar system, which is one panel, one battery, four lights, and you have at least electricity for lights, and then you can build on that with a radio or, you know, a computer or whatever you want to build on and train there. At the same time, training a cadre of, of youth and, and uh, young adults in that village or in that town to be able to go out and do the installation, go out and do the maintenance, that sort of thing. So. And what we found back here in New York in the meantime, in the interim of that, in New York particular, was that there was a big interest in solar, in, in solar, solar energy from a, a, a job creation. So we found that a lot of brothers and sisters started taking these classes at, uh, at, at these local colleges. And here's where the interesting thing comes in here, Brother Leroy. When they go and take these classes at these local colleges because they want to become what they call NYSERDA, uh NYSERDA registered so that now when they do an installation, they can give someone the rebate. What happens is they go in and the reading level or the material might be on 11th, 12th grade material because you need math for PV and things like that. So they go in and they struggle there if they get through that point. Now, in order for you to become a registered or NYSERDA uh, registered installer, you have to have three installations or, or two or three installations. How do you get two, three installations when you never really had the job? And the ones that aren't NYSERDA certified, for the most part, are these Caucasians from upstate New York or here in New York, which ain't going to hire you anyway. So you're kind of in a catch-22. So what we said what we would do, you know, my wife and I and the company, what we would begin to do is to host workshops to be able to now train people and introduce the technology to people on a real workforce grassroots uh, uh, situation. And what I mean by that is we can take a brother who may ha or a sister that may have some plumbing background. He, he never went to school or went to the fifth grade, but his uncle was a plumber. He hung out with his uncle. He knows everything about plumbing. That person there can easily be trained to install solar hot water heaters, you know, 
someone may have some electronic background, electricity background, we can train them how to do wiring, you know, how to wire panels and how to do, how to set up the actual, you know, system. You know, if it's a grid tie system, you have to have an inverter to go from DC to AC because the energy that's produced from the sun is DC voltage. And in order for you to use it in your home or most appliances, you need to change it to AC. So there's an inverter, you know, but anyone that deals with electronics or in electricity know exactly what I'm talking about. But when you go through the, uh, through the, through the formal education, even though we do give that part of the training so you can become, you know, uh, or go to the next levels, which is NAPSET certified and things like that. But our people need to have a basic understanding on what this technology is and what this technology can do. So we aligned ourselves or began to have ventures with with nonprofits. One is uh, uh, Strive, which is a workforce development program here in Harlem that's been around for 30 years, and they 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 you know have these different programs, uh, how to prepare young adults, and you know from being recidivism in prisons and things like that, or either entering to the job market. So my wife put another slant on it. She developed a, a workshop where she actually gives the, the uh, what is called customer service training, and that's something that's needed. So when they talk about these jobs and they list these jobs, Staples is hiring and this one is hiring and Marshall is hiring, and we still are not able to get our young adults in there, a lot of times because they don't know or haven't been taught properly how to approach the job market, not just, not just how to dress properly, but how to, you know, how to talk. You know, the schools, you know, you... For your point there, brother, you sure. said we have, first of all, we identify ourselves, this is the Keys 107 network. The conversation deals with Brother Yusuf Solar's background as it relates to his moving in and out of Africa, and you've gotten a good part of that in the past, and we're going to go to the present future when we come back from announcements, we have advertisers who support the Keys 107 network, and we ask you listeners to listen very closely. There's a book, a little book for children. There are other services that you can key into. Jot down the telephone numbers, the websites, etc., and support those who support the Keys 107 network. So we'll be back after these announcements. We have about 27 more minutes to go. We're going to get into the Africa experience as relates to Gaddafi and um, also just conclude with the training opportunity that Brother Yusuf is sharing with us. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Rafika Consultants and Services LLC is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face -face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback. Sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Boom 107. Fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107. 
7 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing at the gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cuff shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories. Mold 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Don't forget to visit Moon107.com. This is the Keys 107 Network. Our guest on Brother Yusuf oh. Solar. Thank you. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. All right. I'm hearing uh, interference. But uh, here we go. Um, we have online Brother Yusuf Solar. We're talking about Africa. Also talking about solar energy. And Brother Yusuf, uh, just share with us a, a, a telephone number for folks who tail in of what you were saying about the training. Give a um, so that they can follow up on their own and get others to follow up on their own with exactly the opportunity of being trained in this area to be certified. Okay. Uh, Barbara, are you on the line? No, no, no. Uh, my brother. Give oh, me. Okay. Telephone number. Okay. Okay, I'm sorry. The they can call. With you. They can call. I understand. I thought I heard someone else pick up. They can call six four six three three one six two zero four, or they can email me at Yusef Solar. That's Y as in yellow, U as in Uncle, S as in Sam, E as in Edward, F as in Frank, and then Solar S O L A R at Yahoo dot com. So that's Yusuf, Y-U-S-U-F-S-O-L-A-R. No, no, Y-U-S-E-F. Okay. All right. Yusef. Mm-hmm. Solar. Not the Negro Yusuf, which is U-F. Yusef. Yusef. <laughs> 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 Well, I'll tell you Pete. If you give me Pete, I'll tell you that name up. But anyway, my mother said you, you, you. Anyway, I'm going to tell you what my mother called me. Brother Yusuf, the, the, um, some of the last times that you were in Africa, you had the occasion in a pre- prior interview, you indicated what, uh, was uh, what you saw that African in different countries were telling you of what Gaddafi had been the make the difference that he was making in their countries. Just share with us what you what you saw, what you heard firsthand. Yes, yes, yes. Well, you know, peace be upon the brother. You know, there's a really a misnomer about his reputation. You know, for the most part, you will not find an African. In West Africa, I don't know about how far down on the east side of Africa, but I know in West Africa that won't speak kindly and good about Muammar Gaddafi and what he did for their country. 
In Sierra Leone, for instance, he donated over 100 tractors and, and helped build schools and things. He's put money there. In Guinea, he has done the same thing. He pushed for the for 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 the farming effort, you know. Uh, in fact, after after uh, uh, some of the, the uh, fighting in uh, in I think in Southern Africa or whatever, he would, he 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 uh, allowed no no this is in Sierra Leone after the war he allowed some of the, some of the rebels to come into Libya and go to school there. You know, there's like like I think you know there's free there was free schooling in Libya, free housing in Libya. I mean, I think anyone that has any questions about Gaddafi, I give them one simple thing, Brother Leroy. Just go to you, you, uh, YouTube and Google in Eighth Wonder of the World, a man-made lake, you know, and, and, and river. And, and they'll see what he did in reference to just bringing, you know, Libya is over 90% desert. He, brought, he, he found the aquifer from the, under, the old ancient waterways, and built a put a pipe through the whole almost from the whole country, bringing fresh water and created a large I don't know if they call it a lake or like almost like a river. They call it the man-made river, and and they're looking at it as 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 the eighth one in the world there, and and that's there. And what he's done as far as for just giving money to to West African countries and and, and coming up with you know uh, 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 one Africa, you know the United States of Africa and trying to establish, and here's where some of the problem comes in, trying to establish putting these so-called African currencies on the, on the gold exchange. So, and I think that's one of the other issues that caused a lot of problems because once you go to these developing countries, you know, like Sierra Leone and, and Liberia and Ghana and places like that, they, they, have, they have natural resources, but their natural resources is is is, is uh, uh, the, the the prices put on them outside of the country, and then you have these so-called donor nations that donate things into the country, which on the surface you know looks good, but it hurts the economy more than anything. If you have America donating rice into the country, Uncle Ben's rice, and they're making Uncle Uncle Ben's rice through NGOs, very inexpensive. The people in the country that grow the rice. They're, they're, they're not able to sell their rice. So now people are coming and rather, rather than getting the country rice, which is better for them, they're trying to get down to get Uncle Ben's rice or Carolina rice, you know, hardball starch rice. So, you know, but the things that Gaddafi was able to do all throughout West Africa, you know, uh, building mosques and building schools and with hospitals and things like that, his wealth, you know, he, 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 he didn't, he didn't uh, I don't know as far as what he had for his personal thing, but. You know, he shared he shared a lot of the wealth from that oil and, and, and made it easy for a lot of people and, and a lot of Africans. And okay, I don't know. So let me let me go back to the interview that we did Saturday with the husband and wife team of Jimmy and Joanne. When you heard that interview, what came to your mind in terms of what came to your mind? Well, the things that came to my mind is, is, is one, the fact that, that they were able to uh, document this, and, and, and the other thing is that, that uh, you know, just feeling bad that, that this happened, you know, really. And, and, and when you look back, the, you know, the other thing that really, really haunts me is the fact that a, that a, that a black president did it. The first black president, 
you know, uh, uh, sanction this, you know, under guise of, of, you know, whatever. But, you know, that hurts. I mean, when you when history records this, this event or how it records it, you know, I, so I think that. And also, too, the blow that I felt that the fact that the, uh, the African Union didn't take a more, more uh, positive stand on not letting that happen, you know? Mm. Mm. And the... The tractors, you saw tractors. Yeah, I've seen the tractors in Sierra Leone, and, and mainly through all throughout the out West Africa. He's he sent tractors and he sent other sort of farming equipment and uh, and, and, and supplied people to come out and have training. Hmm. Amazing. Okay, so in terms of the benefits that Gaddafi was bringing to the other parts of Africa outside of Libya, you saw some of these things yourself. Yes, 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 yes. So I'm not speaking about things that I've heard. You know, some things, you know, you, you, you hear the the, uh, the good things that he has done, and, you know, but, but I, saw the, I saw the tractors in the president's yard in Sierra Leone in the, uh, outside the, uh, the, uh, the state house. Hmm. Yeah, or some of them because it was more than a hundred or five hundred tractors or something he sent into the country. Hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, the telephone number two one three nine four three three six one eight two one three nine four three three six one eight. You can ask for the use of solar questions regarding any part of the interview that we've done. Solar energy is uh Evolution into um, being involved in Africa as a trading partner with various countries, etc. Two one three nine four three three six one eight. Want to go back to your journey to becoming involved in Africa, your desire to get into communications and do that within the black community, and the opportunity wasn't there. But the universe, God had a plan for you and put you right in the middle of Africa by way of the institute that uh, Belosi and Cogsville Cogs, ran out of the state state office building. That um, smacks of a divine plan as opposed to your plan. Well, it, it, it all, it all, it all is a divine plan. You know, not my plan because you know, if, if it was my plan, you know, it would would never happen. You know, I, I never met my mother or my father. You know, so uh, you know, it goes back to that deep, that that deep. You know, I was given up for adoption at five days old to put mm. in the church. So you know, <laughs> so we, we we talk about real issues that black folks have in this country. You know, so. It's, it's it's the odds is always you know is against you, but we fight against the odds. You know we mm. try to be inspired and, and 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 you know one one thing that I learned with Belosi is uh, one of the sayings he used to always say, and I'll pass that on. And is welcome to anybody. He say, "Don't be no Hindu, just do what you can do." Mm. You know. <laughs> you know. So so when you start. Traveling and and getting and, and you know into and when you really get into Africa, when you, I'm not talking about looking for your roots or been there because you was there doing the war or there fronting for some white folks or something like that. You know, I'm talking about when you really go into the bush 
and you see 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 how people are are, are living in, in in the dignity that they have, and you start you know I'll give you one example. Uh, they took me up to this village because they wanted to show show the, the the chief imam and the elders there. They wanted to introduce me to them. You know that, you know this was in Gambia, so so and I was you know, Muslim, so they, they was proud of that. So we go up to this village and and uh, after prayer they're all in 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 the in the, mas- in the masjid there on what they call the mashella where they pray at, and and it's hot and sticky and they're all just in there praying and chanting. And afterwards, you know, after they finished, they introduced me to the to the uh, head head imam there. And this man is 85 years old. Uh, uh, never knew about real electricity, no TV or nothing. Spoke about 17 different languages hmm. there. Wrote in Arabic. Walked, brother, from Gambia to Mecca. Made Hajj. Turned around and walked back. Took him three years. Hmm. You know. And after we sat and talked, the man introduced me to his mother. She was 110 or 115, wow. something like that, you know. Wow. And I'm sitting there, sitting there, little black nappy head me, you know, <laughs> saying, "Now, how can you say this man is illiterate? Mm. You, you follow me? Now, mm. by our standards here, he can't read or write English, so he'd be illiterate, you know. Mm. I've, I've, I've seen these people, brother, walk and 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 and, and be reading, sitting, reading Quran. And wild birds come and sit down next to them, you know, crossing through roads with pitch black, no electricity at all, walking down little trails, and can see just as clear as it was day, you know. So when you talk about the spirituality, you know, hey, look, wait, wait, you see it there. Go back. See people. I don't overlook that. I don't know what people do. I don't overlook that. Give me that picture. Give me yeah. that picture. The man is sitting down. He's reading Quran. Yeah, sitting by a little tree, just sitting there reading Quran in Arabic, you know, and 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 just just chanting, you know, reading the surah. And here come wild birds, brother, big birds. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you know, real birds, birds that'll fly away with your baby. You know, come mm. sit down, come next to them and walk around and don't have nut. You know. I've seen them see snakes, brother, and say salam alaikum to the snake, and the snake stands still till they pass by. And wait, how you tell people this kind of stuff? Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, wait, I know, wait. I know. How you tell people this kind of stuff, you know? You know, you have a pain. They say a prayer over some water and give it to you. The pain go away. Mm, come on. Mm, no, this, this is where we come from, brother, you know? But we, 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 we tend to not want to. Pull into it here, you know the intuition and thing here. And the reason why you know look at Sierra Leone sometimes so sweet because what happened was we don't remember that Mr. Cuffey, whose who's Muslim name was Abdul Rahman, he took slaves from the ex slaves, ex captives from America. He took some into Liberia, but he took some into Sierra Leone. So when he took them into Sierra Leone, they kept that language of the 1800s, which was. Uh, you walk up to a Sierra Leoneans, he might say, hey, Bo, how the time? You know? Mm-hmm. And then when we moved up north here and started evolving, we brought that down to now we walk up to a brother and we say, yo, what's up? What's mm-hmm. happening? You know, which is the same thing. They say mm-hmm. how the body, how the time, you know? But it's the same basic. If you notice, when I say Bo, I bet you a lot of people in your audience say, that's what they say down south. Hey, mm-hmm. Bo, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so the, the the connection and thing is there. But the problem is 
seventy percent of Sierra Leoneans, and this isn't this is throughout West Africa, brother. Sixty to seventy percent of the inhabitants there are under thirty years old, with no training and no jobs and nothing to do. And we're talking about all up and down that West Coast where they just found oil, you know. But all that has to come in and do the management and the building and all like that, they don't look like us, okay? And they don't do no training. They don't. They they don't do no. They just do the you know the Chinese will come in and say yeah we'll build your road, but we got to bring our technicians. We got to bring our equipment in here. And by the way. We want duty-free standard of everything we bring in here while we're building the road during the day, and at night we're using that same equipment to go mine. Mm. Yeah. And you can't search my bag when we come out. <laughs> and you look at, you know, and now we get into the real things where really the controversy come in. You know, when you look at Ghana, you know, we all talk about, you know, how beautiful Ghana is and it's coming up and all like that. Right now, as we speak in Ghana, brother, or because it's night now, but tomorrow as we speak, you have hotels and banks being built, all kinds of nice buildings being built there. And on the side of the, the, side of the road, in Accra, you got kids and people taking baths in the freaking uh, gutter. Mm. My battery is dying. On your phone? Yeah, yeah, I just got to beat, yeah, yeah. Because I, I I I dashed in someplace quiet to talk and I you know so but if I if it goes then you know I just want to appreciate the opportunity for talking you know okay uh, yeah give once again the telephone number for folks to follow up on that training that mm-hmm. you folks are offering okay well on the 29th there'll be a, there'll be another workshop we gave we gave wow that was. That was it, ladies and gentlemen, for that training. Um, telephone number 646-331-6204. That's Yusuf Solar, 646-331-6204. And the email address is Y-U-S as in Sam, E-F as in Frank, Yusef, Y-U-S-E-F, Solar. It's all one word, Yusef Solar, S-O-L-A-R, at yahoo.com. What is unique about their training, and I got this from a prior interview, is that they put you in a situation where you can actually get your certification quicker. So they train you, and they put you in a work situation where you can get your certification very, very quick. So here's what we're going to do as I look at the time. And uh, it's 7.48. We have our second guest coming up, and that's Brother Dennis Speed. Brother Leroy. Yes. Brother Leroy. Can I yes. Go ahead. Can I, um, Brother Yusuf had a on, on the call. If you if will, allow her to speak for the last minute. 
keep holding on and things like that. Uh, you're saying hold on and Yusuf might call back? Is that what you're saying? I'm not getting a clear She may have. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. Not, For I'm, some not hearing, I'm, not hearing, I'm not getting a clear feed in terms of what you're saying is broken up. Okay, can you hear me better now? I can hear you better now. Can you hear me better? I can okay. hear you better there is a, now. There is a, uh, Brother Youssef had. Okay, Brother Youssef had someone on the line in case something like that happened, to so that he could be able to uh, get the information out that he needed to get out. Her name is, is Miss Barbara. Um, okay, that's that's his wife, Sister Barbara. Okay. And is she still there? Is that what you're saying? Yes, she is holding on the line. Okay, Sister Barbara, Sister Barbara go into the uh, the uniqueness of the training program that you and your husband yeah. have put together. Right. The uniqueness we are, of Right, the uniqueness of it. We're working with, uh, uh, we're making a, we're doing a collaboration with a local nonprofit organization that is looking to create a green tech uh, training and trade institute. And they've asked us to coordinate that for them. And in doing that, we are focusing on a solar energy technology that bodes well here in New York or in the States as well as overseas, and that's solar hot water heating systems. Um, because of the, uh, the, the lower uh, cost factor, initial cost factor that solar hot water brings to the table, we felt that that would be a real win-win situation on, on several fronts. Uh, one, the the learning curve is relatively low. Two, if people are not familiar with New York City in particular, the plan New York has mandated that multi-dwelling properties in particular have to lower their carbon footprint. And there's three stages to this. One is to do energy assessments where they determine whether what their building uh, efficiency uh, needs are, how they can improve that. The second step is to make those improvements. And the third step is to make a report of what they've done to lower their carbon footprint. Now, uh, as recently as this past weekend, we, we held our first workshop with this uh, nonprofit where we were approached by an elder uh, during our seminar who said, you know, I live in a co-op. We've been trying to hold on to our building. The energy costs are really, really challenging for our maintenance fee. We're trying to figure out ways that we can lower our energy costs. And one of the first things that came out of her mouth after we showed our video was solar hot water heating system, another win-win. We have, this is particularly in, in the Grand Concourse area of the Bronx where there's a lot of old building stock and uh, because of this new law, it's the law that you have to convert your buildings to make them more efficient. We really want to tie into getting the information out there. I'm sure there are more of these uh, co-op situations existing where people are trying to hold on to their homes uh, and between the battles of gentrification and uh, high energy costs, they're, they're losing. So mm -hmm. we see that... Uh, tying in this particular technology that bodes well not only here in, in, the, in the States but overseas, 
that's our first leg of training that we are focusing on in tying in with an organization called the Mid-Bronx Senior Citizen Council. Uh, the council unto itself has got a, uh, a, a strategic plan to develop an overall building that they own in the Bronx, and inside of that building we'll have a green tech uh Green Technology and Trade Institute. Um, so that's that's been uh, something we've been focusing on for about a year now, and it's it's gaining strength and it's gaining legs, and it's a natural tie into the work that we we, we do overseas, train the trainer aspect, uh, youth empowerment, um, and supporting providing that intellectual support that people need when they go out from our trainings to get the certifications that they need. Um, it's almost replacing what shop class used to do, if you can imagine that, um, where we used to have electrical and plumbing and carpentry, which was children or kids that had that acronym, we could go out and go into those high schools and get that trade to come out the door with a real management mm-hmm. skill. Mm-hmm. That's something that we want to sort of fill the gap, but not even fill the gap, but create the, the, the workforce again. And that's okay. a natural tie into what we do with, with um, certain nonprofits that have that profile. Okay. The, in, in a, I want to be clear that I'm clear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in a prior interview that I had with Brother Yusuf, mm-hmm. he explained that there are – uh, places where people are trained in the solar energy, mm-hmm. but the and he touched on this. I, I, I didn't uh, have a chance for him to expand on it, but mm-hmm. they're trained. They're given training into being, um, uh, my words, a craftsman, craft person, or journeyman in the solar energy piece. But Correct. they can't. In order for them to have three installations, they have to be working with someone. They have mm-hmm. to be working on a job that would allow them the opportunity to do the installations. Not and, only working yeah. on the job, but they have to be the foreman or the supervisor of the job. So you have to come in with a certain level of expertise to supervise others. And they're... Um, there's an exam attached to that certification now as well. So those are the things that in our workshop we 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 wheedle it down to what you really need to to accomplish and and create that arc in terms of the physical skill. We want to make sure you have the skill down pat. Mm-hmm. So when you go uh, ahead to get the certification process underway, you know your skill. You have the skill. So that's half. That's more than half the battle. Um, getting uh, uh, certified in New York State in particular to offer um, what they call the eligible re- the incentives, that's where you have to have the three installations as a, man- as, a, as a foreman or supervisor under your belt, and you have to pass a certain level of uh, test, written test, in order to qualify for that level of, of, of um certification, qualification. And then if you're an electrician, you know, on top of that, you need to work with a, a licensed electrician who would be the person who handles the, the uh, permitting and all that process. So a lot of people don't know all the little uh, nuances that have been added 
to the process since I started taking classes, well, about five years ago. And I knew this was coming. You know, I kept telling people they're going to start regulating it to a, a point where it's going to be not impossible. And I never say it's impossible. You really need to know the nuances so that when you walk into a classroom and you think you've got the training and then you can walk out the door and start doing installations, there are other nuances that have been brought into the mix. And uh, I want, while it's still not a four-year degree requirement, I still want people to get that basic shop training under their belt so they can have the skill base and start their own uh, enterprise if they care to. And that's okay. another so, reason I'm passionate about the, the training is because we have in our population people who cannot, who are not employable, not because they're not they, they're not skilled or they haven't been given the skill, but because if they have a former criminal record, that is another you know obstacle. You can't go to a solar energy company and say, hey, I've got these skills, I need to get my uh, installation background under my belt. Will you hire me? And then they ask your background check, and that leaves you out the door. We're talking about getting people skill-based and entrepreneurial-minded so they can talk about becoming the employers or becoming Mm -hmm. the trainer-trainer who can travel overseas and give a class to a Mm -hmm. group of people who can. So that's our, you know, overarching thing, what we do. Okay, so when, when a young person or a mature individual goes into your training, they... They and this is not a person with carpentry or electrician electrician experience, mm-hmm. but a person who's willing to work, a person who's willing to learn. When they mm-hmm. come in your training, what do they leave with if they've satisfactorily completed the training? What do they leave with? What is the steps that they have to take after that training in order to move? to whatever next level it might be. Right now right now when they leave the when they leave our training they will have all the uh let's say the the guideposts that they need to make the milestones they need to fit, hit in order to to get the certification testing. What we're working on as we do what we're doing right now, we're simultaneously helping this nonprofit develop their green tech certification so they can become um uh, offer continuing education credits, just like you get at your standard uh, Board of Ed situation. And they already have that in the pipeline, but we're not waiting for the the certification to, to stick. We're working on giving people all the information and training they can get now so they'll feel comfortable when they walk into a continuing ed environment. And that's what we're working on as we speak. So we can do that in 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 uh, a basic workshop and build it up from there, and that's what we're up to. Um, in terms of people who already have the skill base, we're offering uh, a professional track. So if we know of people who are electricians, plumbers, or carpenters who want to learn how to do solar hot water heating, they would be approached from a market-based level because they already have the professional qualifications, and they could also learn, and that's from uh, that's a source of our train-to-trainer pool that we're pulling on as well. Mm-hmm. We're, we're working two tiers at one time because we cannot wait for the institutions to catch up to training our young people or anyone in particular who's interested in this technology. We take them on where they are, and we also 
figure out what the best fit is because not everyone is comfortable getting up on a roof <laughs> and and mm-hmm. uh, you know and doing, but they may be comfortable dealing with the sales part or the customer service and or all those aspects that are needed to 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 qualify for jobs in this industry and to get your feet wet so that you can become an entrepreneur in the industry as well. So it's it's um it's sort of a soup to nuts concept. Um, I run into people who who have great design minds who can look at the building and look at the the, the the layout and figure out where panels could fit properly that they can go on and create another learning track for themselves. Um, we're working with other organizations that have secured scholarships for for people who want to go on to higher ed. They can apply for a scholarship um, in certain institutions that are traditionally uh, historically black institutions that offer engineering and uh, you know Maryland, uh, University of Maryland Eastern Shore offers a uh, scholarship to from a, another nonprofit to one student a year to take solar energy training. So what, wow. we're, what, we're, what we're doing now is creating uh, all the layers, all the, all the connections that we've had over the last, for Yusef, I would say 40 years, 30, I'm a little younger than him, and me in the last 15 years or so, we're really finding that there's a groundswell of people in our age bracket that has the connective threads to really build an infrastructure on all levels. So we have, you know, the youth and we have the older adults, we have engineers, we have entrepreneurs, we have architects, we have uh, people who deal with uh, 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 train-the-trainer platforms customer service, we have all the elements, and it seems like uh, there's an opening in our universe right now, and I'm getting on a spiritual realm here, but there's an opening in our universe that we can capture, we have everything we need, and now we know we have everything we need, and we just need to start doing it and working as a team and having strong team relationships, and that's what we, not just here, but also um, back home in the continent, Um, and, and that's what has been blossoming in the last, I'd say the last years, but particularly in the last six months. It's just been like this burst of of, of people who are coming from all directions and all have the same goal. And been, we've been trying to find each other, and we're finding each other. Mm. And it's uh, a wonderful feeling. You're finding one another because you're looking. Yes. Because, you're yes. looking. And you're looking. You're coming across another path. Mm-hmm. And, and making clear declarations to the universe of exactly what we want to see happen, and the opportunity just presents itself in 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 a in a powerful way, but in a humbling way at the same time. You know? Give give that give that technique. You you. I'm not gonna <laughs> let you. I'm not gonna you know. I'm not gonna let you go past that because that's new <laughs> to some people, and it's not new enough to me. So give that the declaration aspect. Yeah. What what's the what's it's, the it's energy a declaration. It's uh to me, um, and this is something uh, that I incorporate in, in my customer service training. You know, I I take a moment and I we do a workshop on your personality matrix. Really getting to know what makes you tick. Some people are, and there's nothing wrong or right. Some people are very what we call uh, um, outgoing. You know, have that. You know, effusive personality type. You have people who are very good with 
uh, we call them learners. They can get all the information you're talking about. You've got people who are good at knocking it, you know, knocking the holes through your ideas, not to knock it down, but to really get to the nitty-gritty of what will make it work. You've got people who are supporters, who are naturally good at getting people to stay rallied and stay focused. It's basically four personality types. And this is an ancient science. It's given different names today, but it's an ancient science. And I did that in my workshop. And it was surprising. These are young people, between 18 and, say, 27 years old. And it was like the first time that someone took time to really dig who they are. You know you know how you, you have children and you know your children are different and you kind of know why they're different and you appreciate those differences and you mm-hmm. embellish what, what makes them move, what makes them mm-hmm. connect to the what drives them. That's what we did in, in my customer service workshop. And it, was, it had an amazing effect um, in them moving forward with whatever struggles and challenges they had, I said that's not an excuse for you to 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 pull back on who you are. You use your strengths, and where you don't have that strength, you know who you have to be in that moment to bring out the part of you that needs to function in this moment. And with customer service, you know, you might have an employee or worker that has, you know, a certain vibe that you just don't want to deal with. You understand how to interact with that person without tearing yourself down or even tearing them down in the process. Um, Mm. You don't bring your baggage. um, You kind of, it's sort of like seeing the whole picture of what you want to do with the struggle, with the the good parts, but not letting it stop you from where you want to go. And that's the type of sort of, uh, I call it above the melee, you know, above you. You look out at your life and kind of look around it and you look under it and you look through it. But you don't let it stop your core being of what you need to do and what you were brought here to do, whatever that is for you. Um, and it's easy for me to equate it with my children because they all have different gifts and we, or different ways of being. Everyone is, has a way of being. And we push that out. But we also let them know if you're in a situation where you know you're a supporter but you have to stand up and be a promoter, you know where to pull that energy for that moment so you can move to the next level of what you want to be. And that's, it's not a secret, it's not, you know, not, it's really just a natural out, let's say, a natural way of of living that we have been suppressed from experiencing. So when you see you're super successful people, and they talk about they do this meditation or they do this other tra- uh, self-development work. It goes back to that adage of know thyself, you know. Um, my my spirit tells me every day that the reason the pyramids exist is because people knew who they were. They knew their mission. They knew mm. they would not even live to see, to see the end product, but they mm. knew what they were doing as a team. And with all the supports that they needed to make that happen and all the cooperation, they mm. left the testament for us that we are the same people. We've just lost the path as how to work as a team. Mm. And that, that's, that's, the, that's the energy that has been speaking to me, like, every day, every day. It's like, don't lose it. I dare say without our basic engineers or architects and electricians and visionary thinkers and the people who have, who are earthy who can really get to the nitty of stuff so the visionary can have a, a person who can help create their vision, the supporter who can say, hey, guys, we can keep this going, and then you have the, uh, I can't think of the fourth person, but all those entities exist in us. Some are stronger or more evident than others, mm. and 
like Yusef is the visionary. He sees the picture, and he's also the person who goes outside of the box and brings mm-hmm. the story back to us. And I'm mm-hmm. the person who's the first person who helps support that vision and do the nuts and bolts, the, the, the detail work that has to support it. So, mm. you know, it's really, really not that complicated. Right. And and uh, one last thing before we conclude, uh, Brother Yusuf was telling me about a, a young boy who came with his father to the workshop last oh. weekend. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Very powerful moment. Um, we had about six children, ages from, say, about six-year-old to about 14. And I don't think this gentleman would mind saying he's a he was a double master educator working with this nonprofit to work on the education arm. Um, and we didn't realize. We were working with the kids, taking them out, showing them. This kid, um, his father shared, has uh, what they call attention deficit disorder, ADHD. Right. And he said it was, he was his his son was able to focus, put together this solar car kit. Um, he came outside with me. We worked and tinkered with it to make it work. Um, but he said, you know, he's supposed to have a deficit quote-unquote, in attention. But he was focused on making that object work and working with others in a team and collaborating and bouncing off ideas. It was a very um, – and I didn't I didn't realize until, you know, the program was over and Yusef was sharing this with me. I said, well, that's when you, you take time and you take patience to figure out where the child's gift is. Now, this person may be the one who has the, the, the skill base to put together – a solo array of thousands of panels because he can take the time to sit and the intricacy it takes for that to happen. We had a six-year-old girl who was there with her aunt, and I said, this this young lady has a brilliant scientific mind, and she attacked the project with, without any hesitation. And I was telling her, whatever you do, make sure her her science and her math of mind are, are, are nurtured. Don't shut mm. it down because she's female. Mm. You know, that's the type of experience we give to the children. We really... And and we want the parents present so they can witness these things. So had the father dropped him off and took care of some affairs and came back, he would have not had that nugget that he could witness, mm. you know. And I wouldn't have been aware of it because I would have just said it's another kid sitting at the table doing that workshop, not knowing any history of the children, you know what I'm saying? So that's why we want the, we insist the parents be present, especially with the younger kids, because you never know what gems come out of those experiences that we can share in exchange. One kid, I mean, they never picked up their cell phones. They one he was about eleven. He figured out another way to attach a battery with the cell and with the car and then all we could hear while we were doing the seminar with the for the adults was him zooming his car back and forth in the hallway. So mm-hmm. if we give children an option, it doesn't yeah. always have to be elect you know, the electronic gadget. We can give them the basics of science and they can build Anything from it, you know, Excellent. including a cell phone. <laughs> so, so, Sister Barbara, I want to thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. this, the, the, uh, just repeat the date and time of the workshop and the phone number for folks to contact. Well, we'll we'll the uh, contact. We haven't set up the second workshop yet, but we can definitely be reached at the six four six three three one six two zero four number. Just leave a message and we'll return that call. Um, and we're looking to do some more events with uh, 
the Mid-Bronx Senior Citizen Council up in the Bronx, and uh, you'll, we'll keep you posted. Okay, very good. I want to thank you and Brother Yusuf, and, your mm-hmm. family, for joining us on the Keys 107 Network. Sure to key into you both again so that we can expand the scope of information going to our broad community and especially our young people. So may God continue to bless you and your family, my sister. Well, same to you and to everyone listening. Thank you. All right. Good night. Good night. Ladies and gentlemen, we have our next guest coming up in about a minute and a half. We'll be right back. It's Dennis Speed of the Lyndon, Lyndon LaRouche Political Action Committee. What we're going to do is look at current events, Syria, the uh, gentleman Snowden. We're going to look at Russia. We're going to look at what's going on right in front of us, but that we don't have a clear explanation of, especially if we rely on CNN, CBS, ABC, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with Brother Dennis Speed. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Boone 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Boone 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and a gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cuff shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories. Okay, brother, your mic is live. Yes, your mic is live, Brother Leroy. Can you hear me, Chuck? Your mic is live. Hello? Yes, Brother Leroy, your mic is live. I'm unable to hear anything. 
Yes, Mr. Speed. Ah. Yes. Yes, I'm Hello? we're having some yes, we're having some technical difficulties with Brother Leroy's line. If you can be patient for just one moment and hold on while we clear up technical difficulties that we're having with his line. Okay, no problem. I'll just put it on Mer- speaker, my my own thing out here you ready to go. So we can All get right. his line. Okay, Dennis, can you hear me? Okay, there he is. Yes, okay, sir. Sorry about that. There he okay. is. Right. As long as we are being heard by the audience, we're A number one. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, without further, without further delay, we have with us Brother Dennis Speed. We go to Dennis Speed to give us, and, and this goes back a few years, to give us a, a clearer understanding of what's going on in the economy political events, and so on. And I am in a position now that when I look or hear news, I know automatically, and I've known this for years, I'm not saying I'm better than anyone else, but because of the vast array of information that we are exposed to, I know that there's a story behind the story. So we're going to Dennis for things that are going on in the news that we can see but don't necessarily have a clear understanding of. Dennis, the floor is yours. Well, Brother Leroy, the first thing I'd like to briefly inform you of is that I, for one, will not be making a contribution to the Clarence Thomas Defense Committee. Hmm. Uh, I, I think you, you know, everybody knows about the uh, what 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 ostensibly happened today with the repeal of the Voting Rights Act, effectively, the gutting of the Voting Rights Act. Uh, we're not going to take that up, uh, except that I will point out that in the country, which acknowledges that it is surveilling at least tens of millions of its citizens with unwarranted surveillance, involving wiretapping, involving listening and reading emails and so forth and so on. Um, The right to vote is a questionable condition anyway, uh, so that that one should not get too swept up in the events of the day. Uh, There is a very specific item I want to start us off with, which people have not heard about, has been in the news, but has not been in your newspaper. It would be if you read the London Times, London Economist, rather, Financial Times of London, Wall Street Journal, you might have seen it. Um, And what this is, it's a very apparently innocuous item. It's an annual report, came out on June 24th, and it comes from Switzerland from the Bank for International Settlements, the BIS. Now, before anybody gets bored, think about the United States Federal Reserve think about the Bank for International Settlements, the BIS, think about the European Central Banks, and in naming those three, we're naming the managerial staff for the present uh, unraveling, uh, destruction and unraveling 
of the globe's financial institutions. Um, this report came out on June 24th. It's an annual report, and what it says is this. The report states that since the 2007 and 2008 crash, the famous uh, Lehman Brothers crisis and the uh, crisis of AIG and all of that, that the debt, uh, documented debt, uh, of, of banks, uh, of governments, of non-financial corporations and households has increased by $33 trillion. In other words, with all that stuff they did to supposedly bail everything out, the total amount of debt actually increased by $33 trillion, or about 40% of the world's total gross domestic product. Now, now, now that's that's rather impressive. Uh, or actually, I, th- I, I should say the, the United. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The, the world's gross domestic product. So now, I'm telling you about this because here's what they are saying they want to do. Here's where everybody that I'm talking to comes in. The idea is to change the policy from bail out to bail in. Now, what's a bail-in? Okay, you have money in the bank, just like the people in Greece had money in the bank, or maybe you have money in the bank if you happen to have any money. If you have money in the bank, what is being proposed is that you be considered not an uh, investor in the bank in the sense that you have, you have a, you, you, you know, or, or, or you, you just a, a, a customer at the bank, but rather you are now considered to be a, a shareholder, and as a shareholder, your money deposited in the bank should or can be attached by banks in distress under conditions of emergency. So what they did, if, for example, in the case of Greece, as everybody will remember, they suddenly told people they couldn't pull money out of the bank. Oh, they said the money, your money's there. You just can't have it. And so what is happening is that this, is what is the next step. What I'm telling you about tonight, Brother Leroy, is something people will not see for months or maybe even for a year, but it is the next step. Why it's important is everybody that people think is going to protect them in any way, especially starting with the President of the United States, is working for this policy against you. So what I'm telling you is you may think things are bad when you hear about uh, uh, Uncle Clarence and what happened today, but trust me, it's not what you think. It's worse than you think. So that's the thing I'd like to start us off with tonight. Bank for International Settlements, everybody, you can check that out. Annual report uh, came out on uh, June 24th, and if you go online, you can find that. Uh, and you can also find references to it from Wall Street Journal, Financial Times of London, or you can go to the LaRouche Political Action Committee website by tomorrow, and you'll get a breakdown and analysis of what this report is saying. Hmm. Hmm. I'm writing. I'm writing as we talk. Yes. Uh, yes. References, sure. Okay. When... When you saw references to it in the Wall Street Journal, what was the air of their of their reference? 
Well, essentially what they are doing, what, what in that case they were simply re- merely reporting some of the things. What the, what the character of what they're talking about is that there's a debate about the quantitative easing policy. See, that's what they will tell you. So if you're, if you're reading a newspaper like that, they'll give you the jargon of it. So what they'll be saying is, well, you know, the question is, was Bernanke's policy right or is the Bank for International Settlements wants a more conservative policy? They think that the policy of bailouts has proven ineffective, and therefore what should be done is to get rid of uh, labor market rigidities, regulatory rigidities. What does this mean? What they're saying to translate, so everybody's clear, is that as you know, Brother Leroy, we've been saying continually something about Glass-Steagall, the Glass-Steagall Act. I think right. people have now become familiar with that. Just so everybody's clear, we're saying more regulation, return to the regulation, and regulate the hell out of these banks that took people's money. And what they are doing, by the way, as I speak, is these banks, like J.P. Morgan, for example, J.P. Morgan Chase, are sitting on trillions of dollars at this point, certainly tens of billions to hundreds of billions of actual cash that they're sitting on from the bailout process and diverted from the American taxpayer and the world's citizens and taxpayers to prop up the value, the false value of the electronic transactions that are sometimes called uh, bonds, sometimes they're stocks, sometimes they're derivatives. There are many different forms of them. But it's not important to know the forms. It's just important to know what the game is. And here is the game. And I want people to listen to me very, very clearly. Because to understand the game, it doesn't do you a whole lot of good to look at Barack Obama, though he's part of the game. To understand the game, you've got to go back to the Bush dynasty. Not George W., but his father. Okay? As Father George 41. What these people have been doing for 40 years, four zero years, is they've been working to get to this moment. It started back in August of 1971, to be be exact, when Nixon took the dollar off the gold standard. And then what happened was that George Bush, as head of the CIA, director of the CIA in 1974, supervised the writing of a report called National Security Study Memorandum 200. Now, that report seemed to be about Africa and Asia and South America and about how those countries had too many people and this was impinging upon the use by the United States of strategic minerals and precious metals and resources, raw materials that they wanted to get from those countries. That's what the report said it was about, and it was about that. Bush 41, Bush Jr.'s father, was the head of CIA. Then remember, and this is important that people understand, he ran for president. He got defeated. He came in as vice president. He was vice president. Reagan was president. And then two months after Reagan was elected, Reagan had been at the door two months, and then he got shot. He got shot uh, by uh, John Hinckley, uh, who was the son of a family friend of the Bushes, who was with uh, the Bush family four days before that shooting. Then what happened, however, was that Reagan didn't die. So Bush remained vice president for eight years and then became president in 1988. 
So the head of the CIA became the president. The importance of the family of Bush is that Bush 41's father, or George Bush's grandfather, was named Prescott Bush. And that guy was the personal handler of the money for, for, uh, for Adolf Hitler's uh, fi- major financial backer, who was a man by the name of Fritz, and now his na- second name is Chisson, but it's spelled T-H-Y-S-S-E-N, Chisson, T-H-Y-S-S-E-N. I'm telling you this because the uh, Bush, Prescott Bush, ran the Nazis' money in a corporation that was incorporated in New Jersey called the Union Banking Corporation, and they were put out of business in 1942 under the Trading with the Enemy Act. This is Prescott Bush. This is now the grandfather of Bush 43, Bush Jr., and the father of Bush 41. So why this is important to the people listening to me is that George Bush 41 as head of CIA, 1974, began a policy that you are about to see come home to America. And this is what involves all of you. And so it's not, yes, I'm not trying to let Obama off the hook. You know how I talk about Obama every time we get on, Brother Leroy. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to show, yeah, I'm trying to show people something here because you asked me, okay, what's in the news that people need to understand so they see what's going on? Now, I mentioned this bank to you, right, the Bank for International Settlements, Swiss Bank, right? What I right. didn't tell you, right, what I didn't tell you was that that bank was formed in 1930, 1931. That bank was formed, it was the brainchild of a man by the name of Hyamar Schacht. Hyamar Schacht was the S-C-H-A-C-H-T. He was the finance minister of Germany back in the 20s, and he personally led the campaign that brought Adolf Hitler to power. So the Bank for International Settlements was the bank that they created back in 1930-31 to bring Hitler to power in 1933. Prescott Bush worked for Brown Brothers Harriman, and it was Brown Brothers Harriman uh, uh, that handled the money that went to the Nazi campaign in September of 1932 at a point when Hitler could still have been defeated. And Prescott Bush personally handled the transfer of funds that went to the Nazi party. Now, also, finally, you have to understand that they are eugenicists. They are the the United Race Science. Their Their whole orientation was birth control and control of the inferior races, meaning us. So the arc of the process since 1974, including Obama, including Obama, has been to get to this point in this United States. And what is this point? Let me explain it so everybody understands it. If we do not implement uh, a reintroduction of Glass-Steagall, the Glass-Steagall Act, what these people are going to do is they're going to attach everything in the bank and they will delegate and they will regulate how much of your money you will even have access to. And you will do nothing about it because the NSA business that everybody's been talking about is not about surveilling to find out 
who you may be or may not be sleeping with. It's about the financial transactions and the flow of capital and the flow of liquidity and controlling that. They'll also blackmail people. They'll also do all these other things. So the fools who keep saying, I don't care if I'm surveilled, don't understand the game. The whole game now is everything becomes electronic transactions and has already largely become that. So what the Bank for International Settlements, the same bank that brought Hitler to power, together with Union Bank of Switzerland, which is the other bank that did it, the same bank that gave uh, whose director directed the first Obama campaign in the original uh, uh, months of 2006 and 2007. That's right. That bank, Union Bank of Switzerland and Bank for International Settlements, are now, they've written the policy, uh, and it's about to be adopted. And if uh, people don't wake up now and get Glass-Steagall reinstated, which is the only way to actually reverse the situation, reverse it and flip it onto the people who will otherwise kill you. What their thing is, at this point, just like Nazi Germany, they're going to go to the point of basically cutting wages, cutting benefits, cutting anything that has to be cut in order to keep their system going. And that won't work, but they will kill you on the way to finding that out. So I think that's an important thing for people to know tonight. Mm. Go back to this NSA is not about surveillance of people, but the electronic transfer of funds or the financial flow. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll give you an example. Yeah, example. example. Remember that they said uh, you heard about First you heard because of Snowden you heard about NSA. But then he also revealed something called PRISM. It was a second program called PRISM. PRISM was a program that allowed them to surveil every email and and, and, uh, phone call, if they wanted, of any foreign national residing in the United States. So without naming particular circumstances, I know of one gentleman from Switzerland, involved in hedge fund dealing, who informed a friend of mine that he's out of here as of next week because he said, listen, you know, number one, I'm dealing with people in some kind of confidentiality. I got clients. I, I got to, you know, be represent, represent to them some kind of credibility. I can't do that if I'm being spied on, and I don't even know I'm being spied on. Of course, you're not supposed to, you know, that, that whole thing. He said there's no way to do business of any type. Now, I grant you, I grant you, a lot of this business is dirty business. But here's the real deal. Here's how the thing really works, Brother Leroy. All of the business in the financial system is dirty that these people do. All of it is either illegal, immoral, unethical, or should be. So the way, the function of the NSA surveillance is to selectively identify somebody that can either be sacrificed Mm. or who represents a competing faction, Mm -hmm. then you out those people, kind of like they did with Strauss-Kahn, right? Mm. Remember him? That old thing, right? Downtown and all that. All all of that was true. Well, well, you know, what was going on, what, what he was accused of doing, 
he'd been doing it for years because they all were doing it. But they outed him because he was part of, you know, he was in the way of certain uh, plans that uh, existed for what should go on in France. So that's what it's about. So it's a form of control in which the concept is, and what this has to do, again, to people listening and say, hey, I'm not a big-time banker, I'm not this, I'm not that, but here's what you are. You are irrelevant and redundant as far as these people are concerned. You don't have a value except as a consumer. You're like, you're like, the, you're like the battery-operated pods in the matrix. Your only function, as far as they are concerned at this point, is if you can't consume then you should be consumed. And, sure. and we are at the point, because well, look at it, we don't produce anything. We, we don't have to get into a big thing. Everybody knows this, right? Most of our people, we can say that whether, whatever their skill level, whatever, they don't produce anything, anything material. We are utterly dependent. The only thing that we can produce or are allowed to produce in general in the country is debt. Whether you are a student producing student loan debt or you are somebody who's got an auto, uh, an automobile, and you produce an automobile debt, or you're using credit cards and you're producing credit card debt, or you get a, a house, and the real important thing, thing is that you've got a mortgage, which is a mortgage debt. We don't really do farming anymore. We don't really do in, in manufacturing anymore. We don't do mining anymore. What do we do? We produce debt, at least a large part of the population. If you can no longer produce the debt, here's what they propose they're going to do. They are not trying to bail out most of the debt. They are going to write off much of the debt. But the way they're going to write off the debt is that they will take everything that's not nailed down to pay it. And they will use the fact that the debt is owed to create a political reorganization, which is what you're really seeing going on in the United States right now and many other countries, a political reorganization in which you will have no rights. Matter of fact, many fools among us will say they don't mind being surveilled and told what to do and told the last minute what the law is, which, of course, means that laws can be changed, including financial laws, under the guise of national security emergency. Mm. And that's the way it's going to go. So that all of this stuff, for example, it will be said that keeping J.P. Morgan open, whatever the laws they've broken, is a matter of national security. And that's the significance of NSSM 200. Remember I said they made it look like and sound like it was all about the third world, Africa and Asia and, you know, the resources in the ground in those places. But the real deal was if you go for or you accept the premise that the United States or England, particularly the, the British really, have the right to control other people's stuff, other people's resources all over the planet. Okay. That, uh, right? If you, if, you, if you accept that. Okay. Because of the national security, then you have to accept the idea that they can also control your bank account. Okay. That's the key. That's how it works. That's you. What's the name of that that report? 
uh, was National Security Study Memorandum 200, um, Implications, I, I forget how the title goes, Implications of uh, Population Growth, uh, well, Implications of Worldwide Population Growth for U.S. National Security Interests, something along that line. NSSM 200, National Security Study Memorandum 200. Okay. It was written in 1974, okay, and uh, uh, Bush signed off on it as head of CIA. Henry Kissinger was one of the primary authors of the report. Hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, I guess online is Brother Dennis Speed of the LaRouche Political Action Committee. You can call in and ask questions. 213-943-3618-213-943-3618. Hit one on your telephone keypad, and that lets us know that you have a question. Moving to Snowden, Russia, and Syria. Your observation? Okay. Okay, sure, sure. Well, let's, let's take Syria first. Okay, so Syria is Libya Redo. Um, essentially, um, several things can be said, but we'll go to it quickly so that we don't... Uh, uh, it, it's basically the case that what we saw... Think about these countries in the following way first, and then we go, we go right back to the issue. Think about Syria as Assyria, the famous the Assyrian Empire. Uh, of yeah. the, you know, 700, 800 B.C. Think yeah. about Iran as Persia. Think about Iraq as Babylon. Think about Egypt and Sudan as ancient Egypt, upper and lower Egypt. Then think about Israel. Then think about Lebanon. And now look at the Middle East. Also, Turkey should be seen as uh, two things, Phrygia, which is what it was, the Phrygia kingdom, and also uh, Troy, the ancient city of Troy, where there was a population war uh, fought back about 1000 B.C., about 1200 B.C. Now, here's why I'm saying this. Unless you think of that area that way, you aren't thinking about it the way that the people who are destroying it are thinking about it. But the way they're looking at it, yeah, this is a crusade, man. This is a crusade. That's so the Libya, thing that Libya, they claim. Libya, Libya would be Carthage. Right. 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 As in Carthago de Lenda Est, Carthage must be destroyed. And, and what these people are doing is that this, this notion of new world order, again, a phrase popularized by Bush 41, is really an a Anglo-American imperial order, but it's really the old British Empire, just with the Americans included as part of what Winston Churchill referred to and others referred to also as the English-speaking union. By the way, if people uh, put in on the Internet, I just put in National Security Study Memorandum 200, it comes right up. So you can just put just Google that, and that name will come up for you. Uh, so you can you can check that out. I would also uh, urge people to look up the English Speaking Union, because the thing what what the English Speaking Union is composed of, okay, is 
New Zealand, Australia, Canada, England, and the United States. What we would used to call the white countries. Hmm? The white countries. And the notion that the British uh, uh, began to circulate after Cecil Rhodes of, uh, you know, of, of Rhodesia, the 18, 1870s and 80s, was this white man's burden idea of, of retaking, using Africa in particular, as a kind of central geocenter geo uh, uh, with, with the intent of controlling uh, ultimately the Eurasian heartland where Russia and, and China are. That's kind of the, the, the ultimate objective. So when we're talking about Syria, we're talking about the Russian support of Syria and the Iranian support of Syria, Iran being on the border of Russia, and the uh, idea here, remember that Afghanistan is also on the border of, of, of the, well, former Soviet Union, uh, but those nations, you know, that, that are directly contiguous to Russia. So what's happening there is this. Obviously, we've got the pro this problem of cannibals running around, but the cannibals are also what used to be referred to as al-Qaeda, which really as a formation doesn't exist, but which was financed by British intelligence primarily and the Americans secondarily. We, of course, are concerned about the American involvement, but it, the conception of this entire policy is a policy of the destruction of what's called Southwest Asia. Southwest Asia is Pakistan. It also is, you include Iran, Iraq, Syria, uh, and Egypt in that area. Right? That's Southwest, and also Turkey for that matter, which the Turks are about to find out. They thought they were outside of this, hmm. but they're about to find out. They're going to be about to get, get rewarded for their cooperation with, with, uh, with hmm. the Anglo-Americans in Israel and so on. So hmm. that is what we are seeing. And the purpose of this, which is what is why you have to look at it from an ancient historical standpoint, hmm. is that the, the way that empires govern is empires govern by means of warfare and debt. Empires are not kingdoms. Kingdoms are inside of empires. They're, sub, they're the subsidiaries in empires. So you have a king of this place and a king of that. You, have a, you can have a king in Persia and a king in Assyria and a king in Babylon. But the emperor rules everybody. And the way that the emperors keep power is by war and debt. And it must be perpetual. And they rule by basically having enclaves, you know, like, like, like uh, neutral, neutrality zones, sort of like Switzerland is in the case of Europe, hmm? which never gets invaded, you notice. Uh, um, and you, you set this up. You can have small areas. And there's your area of administrative governance of the empire. Otherwise, the empire is a place of radical, permanent war and bloodshed. And that's your foreign policy. And that is what is being implemented, and that was what Obama was brought in to help to uh, consolidate 
uh, and that, that's why the that's why we had Libya and, and Syria on Obama's watch, and we'll have whatever else uh, is required uh, for this for this scenario, uh, with the debt payment side of it uh, uh, being the most important to them, and that's what Glass Steagall addresses, which is why it's so important that people take action uh, in the United States to reinstate it. What um, Russia and Syria, the what's going on there in terms of uh, of of um, black folks or non Caucasian folks would look at at Russia as being a white nation. What's happening as it relates to their support of Syria versus the these other guys. Well, there's a few things you have to realize that Russia is also a continental uh, uh, nation state. Russia has 11 time zones, and the United States has five, I guess, if you want to count wow. Hawaii, maybe six, five and a half. Okay. Wow. So Russia, for example, Siberia is the size of the continental United States. So, so, yeah. So, first thing to understand is, although yes, ethnically there are many, you know, it, they 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 are they are related clearly ethnically, right, okay. to what we would normally call white people. Yes, but yeah. that's only part of them, right? There's other people in there too. But the main point is, it's a continent, continental nation state. China is a similar situation, different obviously in this ethnic background, and different in the number of people because the Chinese have six times the number of people that the Russians have. Um, but the Chinese don't have the extensive land mass or natural resources, primarily natural resources. They do have a lot of water and they have a lot of other things, but they don't have the mineral wealth that Russia has. And remember one other thing, and this is very, very important for people, something, again, that people would not even be told but listen to what I'm about to tell you. The entire world's uh, primary economic activity is, is shifting to two areas, the Pacific Ocean Basin and the Arctic Ocean. Come back to that, the Arctic Ocean. That's right. You would say, oh, that's where all that ice is. Yeah, now. But it ain't going to be there soon. And while people are saying, oh, global warming, we're all going to die, no, well, actually, at different periods in history, the area that we call the North Pole was not entirely covered by ice. Mm-hmm. And it won't be. And it won't be. And what's going to happen is not that everything's going to flood. What's going to actually happen is that that entire area around the northern Asian coastal uh, areas is going to begin uh, to thaw. And the mineral deposits and other capabilities that exist there. If you look at the top of a map and you look at the world, you'll see that the areas of concentration of the land are Canada, the United States because of Alaska, which the Russians sold to us, and Russia, and places like Sweden and Denmark as well. Hmm? That's what you have. So, so what's going on is that the Russians are trying to avoid getting involved in any conflicts 
at all. They're trying to rebuild their the their their economy. The Chinese, of course, are working on a a moonshot. They've got their astronauts up there. That's what they intend to do. Within ten years, they're going to put somebody on the moon. They're moving ahead, and what they recognize is that the United States is presently in a self-imposed decline, which the United States people are allowing to occur, which is being perpetrated by banks and banking establishments that are trying to maintain a dead system that cannot be revived. And so what is happening is that the, na- the, co- the nature of the conflict, the true world conflict that's stepping up is going to be, will Americans allow British-based financial interests and Dutch, Anglo-Dutch-based uh, financial interests interest largely uh, from the old colonies to subjugate the United States enough that the United States puts its nuclear arsenal at the disposal of the Queen of England and others to threaten the Russians and the Chinese the same way that periodically that North Koreans threaten because of their needs for food and so on. I'm not against the North Koreans. I'm simply saying that's what the position of the United States has been. Now, notice what happened with Snowden. The Chinese didn't turn him over, and the Russians haven't turned him over. And the United States is trying to yell and scream about something or other, but they can't even get that man back. And what that shows you is that it is recognized that the United States financially, the United States obviously from a productive standpoint, the United States even as a military power is not merely weak, but the system that it is trying to maintain cannot be saved. Now, the Russians went through that. Okay, the Chinese went through it back in 1989. They changed their whole thing. Actually, they began changing it earlier. But after 89, with Tiananmen Square and all that, they they they, which you know, they had to change it. So hmm. the problem is now you got to do that in America. You just scuttle the whole thing, and the people are going to be fine, but the banks are not. And so this is a natural thing. This is what our first American Revolution under the. Under the West Indian, Alexander Hamilton. That's what his economic system was about. It wasn't capitalism. It wasn't Adam Smith. Hamilton had a credit system, and he said, okay, we are a free nation, and we want all those people to help us during the revolution. We're going to pay you back. Even though we don't have the money now, we just came out of a war. But we will tell you right now, we can manufacture and we can mine and we can, we can develop, we can invent. And we're asking you not just to trust us. We're saying we want you to invest more in us. And we will not only pay you back, we will not only pay you back with interest, but you will have a reliable manufacturing and industrial partner. And that's what he built. And that's how the United States became what it became, not Adam Smith. Hmm. Well, you have given us... uh a couple of meals to chew on. Um, What you laid out are plans and plans of the reflective in this BIS in the uh, National Mm -hmm. Security Report 200 
And at the same time, you've laid out conditions in the world. You've given a historic perspective on the attack on those countries, Iran, Iraq, Libya, very interesting uh, retitling of those countries in terms of the ancient names and the desire of those coming out of Europe to destroy those nations, mm-hmm. retaliate, destroy those nations. It's very interesting. It's a very interesting discussion. It opens the door for further questions, etc. Well, right now, this is this is enough to keep us uh, working on some homework until the next time we get to you. And um, just just trying to do my frank- job. Well, very frankly, I hadn't seen or heard the news. I've been out in the street, so your. Uh, crowning of Clarence Thomas as a great fella it obviously <laughs> relates to his ignorance I, how do you explain how do black psychologists who are in an understanding not just talking stuff how do they explain a guy like Clarence Thomas social well, uh, social psychologist psychologist social psychiatrist psych- how is that kind of individual explained? Well, let me let me put it this way to you. Think about it. Think about it in a more happy light. How do you explain an individual like Malcolm? And the reason I put it that way is because truthfully, see, Clarence Thomas is not a lot different. It, it what, that is is not a lot different in his final effect then Barack Obama is going to be. But Barack Obama is more palatable to people as a pretender who is defending them, even though day by day we've seen every kind of crime committed on this man's watch that we can come up with. But people like him. Now, Clarence is different. Clarence is clearly coming out of a self-hatred mode, whereas Barack is coming out of a self-aggrandizement mode, see, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and no one can deny that clearly Barack did something, maybe he was given it to do, but something happened that had never happened in history, that's true, presidency Barack. Now, but you asked me about Clarence, so let's not, and I said, I'm not going to be a contributor to the Clarence Thomas Defense Committee. Uh, and, and, and for those of us who go back to the days of Angela Davis, I think you can understand the humor involved with that. But the issue with Clarence is simple. You notice when you get it, you realize that Clarence, they struck down Section 4 of the Voting Rights Act, which is the section which defines the particular standards uh, for what's called preclearance. In other words, before a state can say, that they're going to change the voting regulations in some way that they want to change it. They got to they got to clear that with the federal government, and and so that is so. Before you can act on the state, you have to come to us. That's what preclearance is. And Section Four defined the particular you know conditions that you have to meet, and they're very specific. Okay, so Roberts came at it, tried to be slick, right? Said, well, okay, we don't like the fact that these pre these conditions were set in 1965. 
and everything is different now than it was then. You can't say that the United States or the South is as racist, blah, blah, blah. Think that? And uh, therefore, we're saying it's all obsolete. So if you want to take it back, Congress, and rewrite it, hey, we'd be re- willing to reconsider it. See, that's how, that's how Roberts came. Clarence jumps over the fence. He says, no, that doesn't go far enough. That doesn't go far enough. Clarence says, I believe that Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, which is the section that says that the federal government takes should have the right to do pre-clearance, Clarence says, I think this is unconstitutional. Okay, what are we dealing with? Do you remember, Brother Leroy, the old movie A Soldier's Story, which is also a play on Broadway? Oh, yeah, 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 the, the sergeant. Right, the sergeant, you, you knew what it was, right? The sergeant, man. Remember that the sergeant was basically saying Right? That the guitar player should be exterminated. Mm. Go back and, and look at look at the way that that right that that's actually uh, discussed. Right? Yeah. Is that that the sergeant? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the yeah. self hate. You can't if you yeah. don't oh, Clarence Thomas. You have to go into self hate, a deep self hatred. Yeah. People. Right. But, but see, notice what I did. I, I hear you, but see, notice what I did. I brought up Malcolm and Barack. Why? See, because Clarence is actually fairly easy, though rather, shall we say, gastronomically difficult to, to, to digest, okay? He's really very easy to understand, but gastronomically difficult to digest. However, if people look at Malcolm, then you can see... Obama, if you look at Malcolm, you will see Obama, because that is, that is say, not because Obama's like Malcolm, because Obama is not. Obama is like Clarence, but you won't see that, because you are dazzled by what you, what you wish to believe, rather than what you know, which is that Malcolm would never have gotten near the White House. Matter of fact, he couldn't even get out of Harlem out of the Audubon Ballroom. So Malcolm, which represents truth, and what? A self-critical faith in the power of the mind to act creatively on behalf of his people. Malcolm is the standard that one should use to look at oneself in relation to Obama and Clarence. Mm. So people tonight, yeah, you know, right? People tonight got to say, what's, what about me? What's wrong with me that this is mm-hmm. even happening? Mm. Yeah. How we even get into this? Mm. Minister Farrakhan was talking back in 1996 about the dumbing down of the American people and made the point in Baltimore, that uh, that what America was ranked number 26 in the na- in the world and in education, and 40% of the people were functionally illiterate, and made the point that when he went to high school and he graduated at the age of 16, he had three years of Latin, two years of German, one year of French. He'd had trigonometry, geometry, algebra, chemistry, mm. and physics, right? And it was a high school. It was a high school, just like public high school. 
And he was making the point, right? See, so so now, what is it about us that we're, and you know where we are now compared to 96. Mm. So I, I'm just trying to lay out that, that when you start to hear all of America, or many people in America start to say, oh, we don't care if we're surveilled. Oh, we okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, you see, yeah. So, see, that's just what I'd like to leave. So, to understand dumbing, Clarence, really. The dumbing right. down of America mm-hmm. is synonymous with the numbing down of America. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. in turn, reflects morality, value system, caring, being entertained right. out of... Attention. Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. Exactly. What Lyndon LaRouche keeps talking about is the creativity has been taken out of the people and that the concept is you got to get people to think in terms of being a creative with respect to the following problem. He puts it this way. And uh, he's, he, this is also in Minister Farrakhan's speech. Take a look at his speech, uh, which is up on the, on the web. Uh, just put in Farrakhan, dumbing down of America. It comes up. Uh, but look at LaRouche did a webcast last week. People should go to our website and check that out because he's writing a paper right now talking about the fact that you have to think about reality from a galactic perspective. What he's saying is people say that they are earthlings, but that really means that they are groundlings because, you see, you are not merely in space, you know, the world's been hurtling through space. The point is, space is all around you. It's all through you. You have to recognize that the laws of the universe is something that you are required to know, and if you don't know them, that, that, that nature will deal with you because you would refuse to understand them. Hmm. Uh, well, yeah, and, 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 yeah. No, we're going to hold that because that, that's, that's another conversation. Yeah, another classroom rather, but you have. Yeah. I I I I got into a, that second meal with Clarence Thomas, and and you gave up Malcolm and Obama, Clarence Thomas, and uh, that was a very good piece. Yeah, uh, in the audience. Again, yeah, once again, it's it's a, a a lot, not a lot, but it stimulates the mind to yeah. do some very good homework. But the dinner speed of the Lyndon LaRouche Political Action Committee, and that is the website. LaRouche P A C is that it? Dot com. That's correct. Just go there, you find everything you need, and also LaRouche Pub if you want to get background articles of various types. Very good, my brother. Thank you very much, and may God continue to bless you and your family. Thank you, sir. See you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for tuning in. And uh, just a note, I don't have all the details, but Sister Attorney Ava Muhammad will be in New York. Starting this Friday, she's going to be in Brooklyn. She's going to be at a church, and uh, you have to get your ear to the ground, ask around uh, brothers in the nation, sisters in the Nation of Islam, where Sister Ava is going to be. She's going to have some very interesting observations as it relates to the Supreme Court decisions and also the Trayvon Martin murder, his assassination. Once again, we thank you all for listening to the Keys 107 on Blog Talk Radio. Support our advertisers, and may God continue to bless you all with a wonderful and a fantastic week. Peace. Thank you. 
for listening to the communicators on the Keys 107 Network. Join our Facebook group page, The Keys, opening doors to endless possibilities. Follow us on Twitter at The Keys 107 and email us with suggestions or questions at suggestion at sign the keys 107 network.com and don't forget to visit our webpage the keys 107 network.com if the keys 107 network isn't on your blog talk radio then your blog talk radio isn't really on Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Boom 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Boom 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and a gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories, and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French-colored shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.